Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, a weekly podcast illuminating issues in agricultural and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are addressed using a science-based approach with the goal of driving discovery to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulton. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Talking Biotech podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss contemporary issues in science and technology with a focus on biotechnology and the innovations that can help people and help the planet. I'm Kevin Fulta, and today we'll be talking about Terminator Seeds. Now, anyone who's taken the time to talk to the public about biotechnology Here's many different reasons for why people are opposed to the use of such technologies. And one of the reasons that are, is frequently discussed is, well, I'm against the Terminator technology. And you say, what is that? Well, they say, well, it's the technology that puts genes for sterility in the plants that can uh, spread to all plants and destroy all the food on the planet. And then we don't have any. And... Um, Lots of problems with that argument. Mostly that it's, uh, well, I won't say if it's true or false. We'll leave that for the second half of today's podcast. <laughs> so, um, but even experts, well, in quote experts, folks like Van, Vandana Shiva, uh, Vandana Shiva, she uh, will speak openly about Terminator technology and how these are employed strategies that the companies are using to control seeds and uh, hurt farmers and limit seed choice for farmers. And uh, today we'll talk with Dr. Mel Oliver. And Dr. Mel Oliver is a scientist with the USDA who um, actually back in the 1990s conceived of these technologies and uh, tells you exactly what they were and how much they were implemented. And when you hear the backstory behind this and then the whole story, with respect to how the technology was actually used. It's a welcome lesson and myth-busting session that I think you'll really enjoy. But first, I wanted to introduce you to something that I found really uh, heartwarming and, and outstanding when we think about the future of technology and mostly the people who will be using it. I had an invitation from Oak Leaf High School in uh, near Jacksonville, Florida, 
uh, to uh, attend a white coat ceremony. So like they do for doctors who receive their degrees or nurses, uh, they have a white coat ceremony where the students get a lab coat after passing a certificate program in biotechnology. And so they learn some fundamental nuts and bolts that really prepare them to be able to work in a laboratory effectively. Uh, it's a really outstanding program, and it's awesome that they have the, the tools and resources to do this. And uh, I was really honored to be able to talk to the students, uh, give them a little bit of a talk. Maybe we'll air parts of it here later. But the basic idea was, is that when students are preparing for a future in biotechnology, they have to pack a suitcase for a journey where they don't know where they're going or what they'll do when they get there. How, how do you how do you do that? And um, the thesis of my discussion was you better have a bag with plenty of different tools. And so emphasize not only the hard sciences like physics and chemistry, uh, a broad background across biology, uh, but certainly understanding psychology and sociology if you're going to know how your technologies will apply and how people will think about them. But then also you better have good communication skills, both written and spoken. And uh, basically telling students that, you know, it's not the beginning of the end, it's the end of the beginning. And that earning a certificate in a biotech program puts them at a cutting edge, but a cutting edge that will always be moving and changing, and a cutting edge that will constantly need them to retool and also diversify their training in order to be competitive in tomorrow's, which will be a very crowded job market. So over the next few minutes, I'd like you to listen to the interviews I had with uh, <laughs> several students. And when you listen to the students in this program and you listen to their ideas and aspirations, how articulate they are and uh, how some of them even have it figured out pretty well uh, what they hope to be doing, I think you find it exciting. You find it optimistic. And in times when we get a little depressed about uh, the things we read on the Internet and how can this be happening, how can people be so uh, wrong, uh, listen to these kids, young adults, whatever they are, and uh, you realize that maybe something is really right with the world. Well, hi, this is Kevin, and we're at Oakleaf High School in Orange Park, Florida, where we just were at the lab coat ceremony, which gave the uh, lab coat to the next generation of students that were just trained here in biotechnology. And I'm with one of the students now, and maybe you could tell me a little bit about the program and what you learned here during your time in the program. Uh, yeah, this, this program offers a very unique uh, look into agriculture. Uh, a lot of the other uh, agriculture programs within the state of Florida are just general agriculture, and this program offers a whole other look um, at a different side of agriculture. We know that agriculture is so vast and, and, and has so many different uh, opportunities and, and job fields uh, and whatnot. So this, this gives uh, students an opportunity to learn about the biotechnology side of it um, and really how biotechnology is, is the future of agriculture and how it's going to impact the future. And this specific lab coding ceremony um, gives students the chance to um, 
recognize their achievements within the classroom um, and and their education thus far in the biotech program. Yeah, and I and I should uh, make it clear you are a student in the program because you sound like a teacher in the program. Um, but what were your what were the best things you learned? What were your favorite parts of the course? Overall, I would say the diversity of it. Uh, as as I said before, coming in, I. I kind of knew the basics of production agriculture. I didn't know how much, specifically how much science was put into it um, and, and how much research is put into it, how much development is put into it. And not only that, but the development that is um, continuing um, and, and that will always need that um, science aspect of it um, for agriculture. So constantly learning and looking at looking at it through more of a, a science eyes than, than more of a production eyes per se um, was definitely my favorite part of the program. Okay, and what's next for you as you go forward? Uh, well, right uh, now there are two classes that the biotech or that our academy offers besides biotechnology. Uh, we have ag leadership and we have um, ag business. Uh, and I was enrolled in the ag business class last year, and so I'm looking to major in agribusiness at the University of Florida or Texas A&M. All right, two good choices there. Now, do you come from an agriculture background? I do not. Um, I actually grew up in South Texas, um, and I moved to Florida. My dad is in the military, and coming to, I came here in about sixth grade, and I had no agriculture background whatsoever, um, and I enrolled in my first agriculture education class in seventh grade uh, because it sounded interesting, and I think that's one of the great things that this program offers is it allows students who don't come from an agriculture background the opportunity to see the importance of agriculture and to become agriculture advocates themselves. Awesome. Well, if you end up at University of Florida, stick your head in the door, and let's continue the conversation, okay? Very nice to meet you. And I'm standing here with another uh, student who is here in the biotech program, or at least has passed through the biotech program, who's involved with FFA here in Florida. And can you tell me a little bit about what you really enjoyed about the biotechnology aspect of the program? Well, I love science. It's my passion, and through this program, I've gotten to be hands-on in a lab and experience um, some of the things that I'll be doing in the future. I've gotten to learn how to conduct ELISA testing and um, my basic lab procedures and stuff. So it's been a really great program for me, and through the certification process, where I now have my biotechnology certification, I'm now able to work in a lab and hopefully work in a lab in UF. In UF? I know a guy who's got a lab at UF you can work in. <laughs> so what, what, what is your long-term vision, like maybe 10 years longer? Well, I hope to get my Ph.D. and become a doctor. I want to specialize in internal medicine for the Navy. Um, medicine's been a, long, uh, been a passion for me as well as science as it's a part of it. And I'm really excited to hopefully get to work in UF and use what I've learned in biotech and incorporate it into my future studies. Wow, that's really amazing. You're, you've got, it seems like you've got it all planned out already. You want to do medicine in the Navy. And, and um, do you, what do you think um, about the combination of biotechnology and medicine? Like, are there ways that you think that maybe in 10 years we'll be may, maybe tailoring medicine more based upon DNA and what we know about a person's genetics? As of right now, we've already come so far and already started um, to conduct studies and stuff where that DNA is where they're using DNA to incorporate in medicine. So I believe that biotechnology and its part in medicine, it'll go further within the next 10 years. I hope to have a part in that, actually. Okay. Oh, that's really cool. So I have to be sure to, I have to say it again, you are a high school student now, right? Yes. 
Okay, so you're not a professional in science yet or uh, from some university, right? Not yet, but I will be. <laughs> oh, you make me happy. Okay, very good. Thank you very much for your Thank time. You so I appreciate much. it. Very, very nice. So I'm here with another student who just got her lab coat today. Did very well. You did a wonderful job walking across the stage there. And so can you tell me a little bit about your favorite part of the program? I think my favorite part is that we're preparing for the future. Like, for example, biotechnology and more, more emerging technology of agriculture. And that's what I like about it. And, and where would you like to see what you learned applied? Like, where would you like to see it really make a difference? For me, since in a few years, I want to go on a career in science, particularly in genomics. So that's why this program will help me prepare for that future, since it's plant biotechnology. Yeah, that is a very important part of uh, uh, the underlying of the discipline. And so what do you imagine you'll be doing, say, in t 10 years or 20 years? Oh, that's easy. I basically help improve, improve many plants. Not only that, in medicine. And then maybe, or not, not won the Nobel, the Nobel Prize for it, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's good to set your sights a little high. I appreciate that. So, so if, you, if you do win a Nobel Prize, can you send me a postcard and say thanks? Yes. <laughs> very cool. Well, very nice to meet you, and good luck with everything. You, too. And here's another student who was participating in the program here at Oak Leaf. Um, what were some of your highlights of the program? I think the whole highlight of getting a certificate or a certification in the biotech industry, which I did receive, and um, the whole aspect of the science side of agriculture and learning more innovative ways to increase our food supply and how to grow new food or produce more plants, I think that's really cool and I really liked it. It sparked my interest. And so you're in, just you're, you're finishing high school now, and so what do you do next? Next, I plan on attending a university, and I actually want to major in biotechnology because that program influenced me so much to pursue a career in biotechnology and agriculture. So I applied to other universities to expand my knowledge on it. So. It was one of those University of Florida? Yes. yes. Ah, good answer. Where, where, do you, where do you imagine you'll be in the future, like maybe you know, 10 years from now? I imagine myself working on a career or being in a career of either biotechnology or in agriculture, helping the world increase our food supply because we are running low on like farmland and stuff. So I hope to be one of those innovative people to create new ways too. Awesome. So I guess, you know, and you kind of stole my next question is that with all the tools you in your toolbox and all the things you learned about with biotechnology, if there was one problem you could solve, what would you do first? It would probably be like increasing the food and feeding the poor who don't have a lot of food and making new ways to where we can feed those people because we have enough food. It's just we need to get it over there. Uh, that's a beautiful answer. Thank you so much for your time. And there you have it, the uh, ideas of students who are excited to take careers in the area of biotechnology or at least using it as part of their toolbox to solve problems that they feel are really important. And that's one thing that I think is really another forward-thinking and optimistic edge of our current time. And that is students in high school, students in college, 
they do share a, a really strong sense of how they can contribute to help solve problems. And I think that's really exciting. I think it's quite different than even it was maybe five or six years ago. Certainly different than when I was a student. So thank you very much for the opportunity and thank you for participating in the podcast. And right after this brief break, we'll come back with the interview on Terminator Seeds with Dr. Mel Oliver from the USDA. The Talking Biotech Podcast has one goal, and that's to get you excited about your food, new technologies, and the good things we can do when we put the two together. We live in a time of great innovation and discovery, yet the new findings are slow, oftentimes, to reach the public. And and why is that? Because of the tremendous misunderstanding, coupled to a complacent population that would rather err to the side of caution, rather than implement safe technology that can help farmers, consumers, and the planet. And that's why it's so important that you listen and share the stories of agricultural technology. That's why this podcast is important, because it provides you with access to the experts that tell the beautiful stories of the genetic improvement of crops, animals, and medicines. So please make sure you complete a review on iTunes, share the podcast with a friend, Listen to it around the dinner table and share the stories of the secret lives of the botanical critters in each layer of that seven-layer salad. With your help, we can move agricultural innovation to application, and that happens with communication. We're all in this together to bring safe and affordable technologies that help our people and our planet. My name is Chelsea Boonstra, and welcome to the Boonstra Report, where we talk about all things agriculture. Today on the Boonstra Report, I wanted to quickly talk about farming and the myths and rumors behind it. Many people assume dairy farmers are abusive and do not care about the animals and their health. Well, that is far from the truth. The videos you see on social media are staged, and they show you what they want the people to see. If you think we would get up between 2 and 4 a.m. to start our first milking for the cows, Just for fun? Well, you are quite wrong. This is a labor-intensive as well expensive job to have. It's also not just our job. It's a passion and way of life for us. Before stirring up the pot on social media that is not true, or even just sharing those horrific videos, please go watch The Real Truth About Family Farms, which I had made about our own operation, and you can find it on YouTube. As well, please be sure to follow me, Chelsea Boonstra, on Twitter, Instagram, and my Facebook page. Thanks so much, everyone. Today on the Talking Biotech podcast, we have an opportunity to really delve into a little bit of myth-busting, a really overdue topic that people ask about all the time. And I was really excited to be able to connect with the expert who uh, has some good insights into the ideas of what is framed familiarly in, uh, in common discussion as terminator genes. And I'll talk today with Dr. Mel Oliver from the Plant Genetics Research Unit with the USDA ARS stationed at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Oliver. Thank you. Nice to be here, Kevin. 
Yeah, this is it's really a, really a pleasure. I got to meet you in person last year, and I always look forward to having a discussion with you. And really glad we could do this. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your current position, though, at USDA, and and what you do f- for the uh, state of Missouri, and maybe for our national interests? Yeah, actually, being a federal, we we are pretty much uh, national. Although we do have some good uh, Missouri uh, context, because obviously. Um, often what's good for the nation is good for Missouri. Um, I'm in charge of a plant genetics unit that focuses mainly on corn and soybeans with a little bit of wheat. Um, We do um, a lot of trait improvement type of basic research. I have uh, some scientists at the Danforth Center who are looking at some very complex issues such as uh, G by E, which is gene by environment um, interactions, as well as how uh, carbon and nitrogen are fluxing through plant metabolism. Here in Colombia, we work mainly on uh, seed uh, quality improvement, as well as uh, some of the more basic work uh, involved in genetics developing new new ways of um, understanding maize genetics and soybean genetics. Myself, I'm interested in dehydration tolerance. I work both with maize and looking at root uh, traits involved in the response to soil water deficits and also looking at how plants uh, respond to dehydration using uh, resurrection plants, which is something I've been doing for uh, almost 30 years now. Your research today is uh, has lots of relevance to American agriculture, and it's, it seems like a, a great fit for USDA. But if I go back 20 years and we talk about the way that some of the ideas of this idea of the terminator gene, this discussion that uh, I know that wasn't your terminology, um, but could you take us back to that time? What it was happening in the actual story that kind of prompted the conceptualization of this particular strategy? Sure, yeah. At the time, I was working in Lubbock, Texas, in a unit that was basically looking at plant stress uh, responses as well as cotton uh, improvement. Obviously, Lubbock, Texas is right in the middle of the cotton belt. And at that time, we were just starting to see the revolution in cotton uh, agriculture because of the large um, threat to the cotton industry by insects and uh, weeds. And basically, uh, the cotton industry was um, basically in trouble with with um, lots and lots of uh, attacks by pest ins- insect pests. And so the, the issue was, at that time, was how do we protect... Um, cotton from insect pests and how do we improve cotton uh, agriculture within um, both the high plains of Texas and in the nation. So obviously in those days back in in the late 80s, early 90s, people were starting to think about 
uh, biotech ways of doing that, and the companies that started to look at uh, BT as a way of um, protecting plants from pests, and cotton was one of the first to be um, used as a source, uh, as a target for BT introduction uh, using genetic engineering, as was uh, herbicide tolerance for glyphosate. And so when, when I was there, we were, we were interested in the effect of that on agriculture. And a lot of concerns in those days were about the issue of can genes uh, move from engineered plants into the natural environment. And in the case of cotton, that's kind of limited more to the south than where we were in Texas, but it was an overarching problem that we were looking at and, and was trying to figure out how we could better protect the environment from uh, the escape of transgenes uh, into wild species. And that was, you know, a, a real push by lots of the um, community in, in, in science and in plant biology was to look at, at the safety of gen genetic engineered crops. And so the other issue at the time was how do you, um, how does gene containment then improve the agriculture of uh, seed introduction and crop varieties within the uh, industries, within the uh, seed industries, within the um, agricultural landscape and basically we were, the increase in regulations on biotech and the uh, understanding of what we knew that biotech was all about in those days meant that we had to look for ways that we could improve the ability to release uh, engineered products in, into agriculture without affecting um, the environment and also allowing it to, for the trait identity to be maintained so that uh, these crops could be followed and monitored and so on. And certainly there are lots of uh, reasons why you want to, commercially you want to uh, keep your trait identity uh, Apart from agricultural um, considerations, there are also commercial considerations. Okay. And that was how we got into this whole idea of how do we do that in an efficient way because there are no real natural ways to um, forging containment, really. These are things that you have to design in an agricultural sense. 
right. Does that hurt? No, that's that's perfect. So yeah, so typically when we were talking about containment, we'd be thinking about maybe staggering flowering times of a transgenic or I should say a genetically engineered and a non-genetically engineered uh, crop in an adjacent field, or maybe uh, planting in ways where, and I know USDA looks at this very carefully upon uh, applications, is making sure there are no um, feasible um, natural outcrossers. And those are things that people have always worried about um, in terms of, I shouldn't say worried about, but things that have always been taken into consideration when looking very seriously at the environmental impact of releasing a genetically engineered crop. Absolutely. And certainly when you're looking at um, crops that have been engineered with uh, BT, you know, part of the standards of that is that you have to maintain uh, a refuge. And if you can contain the genes so that your refuge remains intact, then then you, you have a much more effective control of the spread of resistance within the insect community. So when we think back to that time, and this is, we're talking about like the 90s, uh, and so it seemed like a really good idea to come up with some sort of systems to be able to ensure that the uh, traits would stay where they belonged. And what was the original idea in terms of uh, maybe a mechanism for containment? Well, actually, that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, we were interested in how you do this. We looked at lots of um, potential ways to do this. Most of them were, were, were not feasible. And at the time, I was working with a colleague in Lubbock, uh, Norma Trollander, who was working with the Cree Lock system, which is a, a system for site-specific recombination in DNA. And we were looking at that as a way of producing, um, making crossing easier using developing male sterols for uh, breeding programs in cotton. And we, when we started to think about this, you know, how do we, could we, could we use the, the Cree lock system in a way that would allow us to prevent the trend or to remove the transgene? And in fact, that had been looked at uh, quite extensively by others in USDA um, to look at how you would use Cree locks to remove a transgene from a plant. But that, in essence, uh, is not gene containment in the sense that it's, you know, you have to have 100% efficiency, you have to have, um, you know, you have to set that up in a farmer's field, which is obviously not possible. So, we, we puzzled over this for a long time, and, you know, this sounds very uh, uh, silly, but I actually woke up in one of those eureka moments you often, you, you occasionally have. I woke up at three in the morning and said, ah, I know how to do this. <laughs> and so that that is sort of what we did. It's basically using... Um, very specifically timed natural promoters to allow for the production of a crop so that you, you, the farmer, when he plants the seed, will get a crop, but then 
you know, anything that's produced from that crop, the seeds themselves, will not produce a second crop. And that was sort of how we developed the, uh, what we call gene safe, or we called it TPS, which was the technology protection system. And the reason it was called, we called it gene safe in, in ARS, but the uh, company that we were working with at the time, uh, which was Delta and Pine Lane Company, a cotton seed company, a small cotton seed company out of Mississippi, um, they, they called it the technology protection system because it allowed them to uh, obviously put any technology that they put into the plant would, would be not so much protected but would protect the environment. Let me uh, jump back just a moment to describe a couple of the points you touched on, just so the listener is right on board. When we talk about male sterility, why it's important in a breeding program is because Mm -hmm. if you're producing male and female um, gametes or the pollen and and the ovules in adjacent structures, it makes it very hard for a breeder to be able to control what pollen goes onto that cross. And so if you have something that's male sterile producing only a female portion of the plant, you can now introduce whatever pollen source you like and have 100% or close to 100% um, of a cross that you can control. And so the the, the idea here was to be able to introduce a transgene that would induce the male sterility, but use Crelox, which is, as as you mentioned, a recombination system, which um, enables... Um, speci- allows the pieces to be specifically removed. So in other words, Crelox would kind of self-recombine out the element that was installed, and this way not passing it on to the next generation. Is, is that about where we... That, do I have a good understanding of that? Well, actually, you're, you're mixing the two. The sterile part is really you're using um, a tar- Crelox targeting mechanism to... Uh, produces uh, a male, a plant that cannot produce pollen. So for the breeder, this is sort of common breeding practices is that you have to go in there and hand emasculate, as we call it, which is a very frightening term, if you like. But it's um, (laughs) basically you remove the male parts of the flower so that you can put on uh, seed, uh, sorry, pollen of, of the desired cross so that you can produce um, the plant you wish. And that's a very time-consuming and labor-intensive uh, operation. And so at the time, back in the 90s, there were lots of ways of um, developing uh, male sterols in a way just for breeding programs. They, these were not something to be released at the time, but just in breeding programs to aid the breeder in, in producing plants. Now, the Crelox, using the Crelox system to actually remove genes was if you, uh, the main focus of that was in, in the early days uh, of plant genetic engineering, there were a lot of, um, lot of use of antibiotic marker genes that were in the constructs that were used to produce transgenic plants. And the idea was to use Crelox to remove those antibiotic genes out of the plant so that that wasn't carried through and that antibiotic gene would not be in the environment. 
also, if you really did want to produce um, a non-transgenic plant from a transgenic plant, this was a way of doing that. But that was more of a research-based type of effort. So we have mentioned that this was done with a company at the time with Delta and Pineland. Did they actually produce a plant with this technology or what was this technology ever deployed? How close did it get? Um, no, it never did go out of my lab or out of uh, greenhouse trials, if you like, because we never, um, we had it working in tobacco quite early and um, then we moved into cotton and we were in the process of doing that. And then uh, basically that effort, um, once the pattern had been produced, the effort sort of went off because the technology we, we were using, our prototype was not something that could go into commercial production. So we were working hard to, or the company was working hard to bring that into a, a more commercial thing. Because we, our prototype was never designed to do, it was designed to test uh, the strategy and the strategy works, but it was not something that you could use in a commercial sense. So the company, uh, I was not, I did not go past the prototype stage. So uh, it was never developed by the company as, as far as I know. And so that was back in, what, late 90s? Yeah. And and so I guess but one of the major criticisms of genetic engineering is that, you know, we do worry about gene flow, or at least, you know, it's one concern we need to take into, into consideration. And, um, you know, just kind of you're, you're just thinking about this, are there facets of this technology or these roots of this technology that could be really beneficial and really satisfy some of the concerns of some of the uh, critics? Oh, absolutely. It was, um, that was the whole design was to make this a, uh, a, a very successful way of preventing gene flow or movement of genes from a, transgene into a wild population. And the strategies that we developed and others have looked at uh, are very good at doing that. And, um, you know, some, uh, I don't know how far they've got commercially. We, we, we did, um, there were some that were being looked at that way, but nothing like, uh, you know, nothing based on, um, the way that we did it, certainly not to produce uh, seeds that would not germinate. There are different strategies other than that. But uh, certainly nothing, uh, um, there is nothing in the technology that did not suggest or that suggested that it would not be very successful in preventing gene flow. And in fact, it could be used for uh, other strategies for um other purposes, such as perhaps preventing um, invasive species and stuff like this. Yeah, I guess that would be my other thought, you know, in terms of ecological applications, you know, and, and ways that you could do good things with this particular th line of thinking, but never really being developed past a kind of conceptualization stage and prototypes. 
Um, do you have any particular feelings when you hear uh, folks roll this out here 20 years later and they say, you know, oh, this is what I hate about the technologies. It's all self-limiting. Um, anything like cross to your mind in terms of that? Or do you just kind of roll your eyes? And Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's all you can do. <laughs> So thank you, thank you, Dr. Mel Oliver. This is a question that comes up over and over and over again in the discussion of genetic engineering and crop biology, and I really appreciate you taking the time to illuminate this for us today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And there you have it, um, an authoritative view of what Terminator technology was and wasn't. And once again, a technology that never advanced really past the uh, initial stages yet if it would have come out in a different way maybe if it was actually used uh, if we would have communicated about it up front and talked about it in in a scientifically accurate way with experts like dr oliver where might it be today and would it have been instrumental in mitigating one of the central comments or one of the central criticisms of biotechnology so thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I'm Kevin Fulta, and as we move along through the season, I really hope that you take the time to be grateful for the goodness that agriculture brings us and the science and technology that goes into every bite on your plate. You can think of the farmers that grew it, the harvesters that picked it, the people who uh, helped to process and move it through the supply chain. It took an awful lot for that food to get from a concept in a plant breeder's head to your dinner plate. And make sure you use everything wisely. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P. -P.